0: Welcome to this month's episode of Money Mountaineering with Peter Neuwirth. We invite you to tune into this podcast that discusses what's your money worth. And this season's episodes are all about the sharing economy. Tonight's guest is an amazing example of that. Rebecca Wright is the bookstore manager for Barnes & Noble in Santa Rosa, California. And they are going to be talking about books, bookstores, and the role they play in our world. Take it away, Pete.
1: Well, thanks a lot, Hope. And yes, this season, or this set of the uh, podcasts is really about the sharing economy and uh, as a as a kind of a different way to navigate through the world of money or actually the world of how you sustain yourself and and live and and get by. And um books are really, really important to me. I mean, i'm I'm an author as probably pretty obvious, but I also I love books. and Among the things I lost, in fact, the, the most valuable things I lost in the fire was my collection of books. I mean, all my books that were all my friends and all of the bits of wisdom and the way I navigate through the world. So when I lost my home and I lost all my books, I had to replace them. And I replaced them in part through the generosity of uh, and the sharing of books that others had and the gifts that I got, and picked some up at thrift stores, some at used bookstores. Uh, again, borrowed some. But there were quite a few that I actually had to buy because I was in the middle of writing my money mountaineering. I had almost finished the manuscript when the, when the fire came and I lost a lot of books that I was working on. Some, some books by Nassim Tlaib, some other books about money and financial advice and others that I was referencing. And so I went to Barnes and Noble and I replaced almost all of the, all the books that I needed to finish the book. So really, for me, the books I now have in my home are a combination of books that I've gotten through the sharing economy and also books that I bought at Barnes & Noble. And when I went to Barnes & Noble, I went to my local Barnes & Noble in in Santa Rosa and um, found not immediately, in fact, soon enough, that it was Becca who was the manager of that, that bookstore. In fact, I met Becca because uh, she is uh, one of the people that runs an, a local open mic uh, here in Santa Rosa. But it, it's, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But, but right now, I, I I really want to talk about her role as the manager of the local Barnes & Noble, which is a terrific store. So let me start by saying welcome. And it's great to see you in, in uh, through the screen, I mean, usually I see you in the real, in the real world. <laughs> so let's start with how did you come to be the manager of, of Barnes and Noble? And I know you love books, and tell me a little bit about your journey that that got you to uh, to that role.
2: Oh, it's it's actually a pretty funny, it's a cute story. So um, my first job. Ever, I was in junior high and I volunteered at the local library for their summer reading program. And I helped with all of the kids that would come in and they'd share the books that they read and just be so excited about them. And we were able to encourage that love. And I don't think that ever really left me. So when just Barnes and Noble kind of became an opportunity, I couldn't help but jump at the chance to be able to continue that sharing of passion about books and learning and just the overall joy of reading. So I was really lucky that that kind of fell into my lap for me. Um, that I'm still able to pursue a career in something I'm so passionate about.
1: Now, now was that was that Santa Rosa that 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 you grew up in? Where where, where No, I grew from? up
2: in Southern California in mm-hmm. Monrovia tiny little cute town. I moved up here to Santa Rosa about 10 years ago now. Fell in love with the community. I think it's been a great area for creativity and exploration. So I'm glad I landed here.
1: And um, you always loved books as a kid. And did you I mean, I know you I know you're actually a a writer yourself. I mean, when did you move from reading to writing? And how did that all play in your? Oh,
2: I mean, it's always been a a tied in piece you know, I wrote a story. I was like in first grade, it was about fairies. Um, And I kept it. And then just, it kind of grew and grew. And I, in fifth grade, I, had just changed schools. And I was the brand new girl and everyone had grown up together. So I was struggling to make friends and fit in. And I wrote a story about the new kid in school. And so that was a way I was able to express and work through some of those things for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it transitioned into poetry because it was an easier way to share shorter snippets of ideas that I had. And that just happened to be my outlet. And so I've kind of just continued that
1: from there. Did the books that you read as a kid, did they come from the library or did you go buy books or did you borrow books? I mean,
2: oh, I was a big library kid, like every weekend, get my stack of books. I just wanted to consume everything that I possibly could. Um, In junior high, my English teacher, Mrs. LeBeau, was fantastic. And she had her personal library collection. And that's um, I was introduced to Mary Higgins Clark. It was my first kind of intro into the adult thriller mystery world. um, And she introduced me to that. Just I kept consuming everything I could find. And I was ready for that next step. And she was able to kind of help continue that for me.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And so one of the things that has always struck me about your bookstore is just the kind of amazing, well-chosen variety of books. So how do you do that? Does it come from how well-read you are, or does it- No, do I think, well,
2: I really, you come to rely on your team a lot. And when you talk about curation, which is what um, you're saying, like how books are placed, where they're placed, what titles come in, it's um, important to remember that there's no like one right answer for that, because we will carry books that are those tried and true authors, the Pattersons, Bill O'Reilly, that will always have the trending romance authors, Colleen Hooper. But then when we look at um, getting in those more local authors, it's so important to build that relationship and to listen to what the community wants to read. So it's having those conversations with the people that come in the building. What do they love to read? What do they want to read that they haven't seen? And then I have a great team behind me of leaders who are very well read and well versed and know how to kind of navigate the system and find some of those answers and try to help bring in some of those lesser known titles.
1: Well, it does seem like it, it is almost a community center. So it, it really is part of the local scene here. And it sounds like you you also choose the books based on what people want to read. And how, how do you find out what people want to read?
2: Oh, you just have those conversations. People come in the door every single day and whether they're looking for a specific title Or just they're like, oh, this is what I read recently that I loved. But people are always willing to have that conversation with you because they want to share what they love. And they're always willing to get feedback from you. My to read list is a mile long because every customer I come in contact with says, oh, I read this book and it was fantastic. And I'm like, let me add that to my list because I want to know what the community's reading because that will help me train my team and develop my team to find those titles.
1: How big a team do you have? I mean, how, I mean, I, I didn't even know that I thought there were sort of the, the manager who makes the decisions and some clerks at the, at the. Uh... No,
2: it is, it is like an entire effort. We are all booksellers in my building. So I just happen to be the one that makes sure everything runs smoothly, but our very, at our very core base, that's what we are. We're booksellers. Oh. Um So my, children's lead talks to all of our children's customers and if there's something she hears that's going to be great that's upcoming she'll bring that to us my receiver keeps track of the trending titles that are coming in if we're seeing an uptick in orders for specific authors they'll be we need to make sure we have this 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 in store so it really is an entire team effort um we have about 20 people on staff total and all of them are, are just book lovers they all have different areas of expertise i have a history major who can tell you about every history book we have in the store. I have a manga expert. I know nothing about manga, but they know about every series, what age is appropriate for. I have a girl who has studied psychology who will go through personal growth. So really, it's about having a team who knows all of these different genres, and we're also willing to share information. So it really does reflect what the entire community is studying and requesting and looking for.
1: Okay. So this displays a little bit of self-interest, but but how do you choose your money books?
2: Oh, money books. I do have a bookseller. When I needed some investment information, I went to him to ask and he will say, this is a great title. Um, if you're starting off, you want to look at this one. So it's really about doing that as well as using our sister stores because, you know, we're not going to have that. Title knowledge in every single one of our stores, but I can easily reach out to my store in Walnut Creek or my store out in Fairfield and say, Hey guys, do you have anyone who really knows this area and knows what books we're looking for? And so it's about pooling that information.
1: Well, I can tell you it really works because, you know, I was writing a book about money and I, (laughs) you know, I needed to. I needed to get, you know, I needed to replace my Susie Orman and I needed to replace Dave Ramsey and I needed to, and I need to replace all of my Nassim Talebs except the math books. I mean, you don't carry many, many math books, I guess. That's a more technical thing. But like I said, you know, Nassim Taleb, who wrote, you know, Anti-Fragile and The Black Swan. I mean, I was able to basically replace that whole range. So you know whoever your guy is he, he yeah. does a good job he knows what he he knows what he's doing so yeah. i mean
2: i would love to be able to have every title that someone wants available on the shelf for them but you know realistically we have don't have that much space on the shelves but we do have a huge warehouse so we have options there's ways we can contact publishers to get some of those titles in if and when a customer requests them
1: that's the benefits of being part of a big corporation which is sort of what, where I was going to go with my next question is, I mean, one of the, you know, wonderful things about your place is it's here, it's local, it's, I can yep. I can go in and touch and feel the books, but Amazon seems to be doing pretty well.
2: Amazon, I mean, it's fantastic for what it is when you need that immediate, immediate gratification. Um, you know, you can order it one day, it's on your doorstep the next if you can't make it out to a bookstore um, or any other store, honestly. And there will be titles that Amazon has exclusive ownership of because it's through a publisher that they directly work with. But what they're always going to lack is this conversation. Like, I would never be able to call up someone on Amazon and say, hey, tell me about this item. Let's have a real conversation and really engage and connect because Mm -hmm. that's what I think bookstores local or corporate and even libraries offer you the opportunity to talk with like-minded individuals whether it's someone who works there or another customer who's walking down that same aisle i see those connections happen every day that you would never get on amazon
1: well you know so to me i mean libraries are sort of the the ultimate in the in the sharing economy it's it's uh, it's where, you know, those are community resources and you you take them out, you read it, you use it. And then somebody else uses it. And that and that's, you know, that's how you avoid having to um, to deal with money. You avoid the, uh, you know, the tax man and all kinds of things. <laughs> but somehow you and Barnes and Noble and also the other bookstores in town, the other bookstore in town. I mean, I think of Treehorn, the, the used bookstore. You were pretty simpatico. I mean, you guys... You know, I don't feel like you're in competition. I mean, how do you feel your, no. what's your relationship to the to the library?
2: I think it's fantastic. Um, we like we partner with the friends of the library who run their like donation and their book sales all the time. Um, when we're able to give them titles, we do. I don't know how many times if someone's come in and I don't have a book right away. I've suggested the library. I suggest they head down to Treehorn, the used bookstore, because they might find this old edition they're looking for for and they do the same for us too because really at the end of the day yes you know we want to make money we want to support the bookstore but we also want to get that information into your hands help you find what it is you're
1: looking for i guess you are part of the sharing economy then because um you you share with the library the library shares with you customers Mm -hmm. and books go back and forth Mm -hmm. so so maybe you know and and i do believe money is part of the sharing economy because sometimes you share your money, and sometimes you yeah. loan money, and sometimes you give a few bucks to somebody that that needs it for, for whatever, and then then they give you money back. Yeah, um, yeah
2: there's times where we have um, like local self-published authors; they haven't been picked up by Simon and Schuster or Random House, but they have their physical books and they want to try to sell them. And we're able to do like consignment events and get those books into the store so that we are helping them. It doesn't help us. It's a very small margin that we even get, but we're offering that author an opportunity to have exposure, to meet the community. We hold local events. We do little book signings for them because we want to help support that local author as much as you know the Pattersons in the world.
1: And you guys were very good to me. I mean, you you had me in your window for a while mm-hmm. for with, with all the other local authors. And that's that is a wonderful thing for a, an author who lives here. How do you see the relationship between the the bookstore and the author? I mean, in in I mean, i I, I think a lot about the, the relationship between the publisher and the author, which mm-hmm. sometimes is acrimonious and sometimes it's yeah. very, you know, synchronistic. What about the bookstore and the author?
2: Well, I think it's um, when it's these local authors, it's really about that communication piece. And you find a store that's willing to support you and to really being able to bring you in. You have to have that open communication. We've had local authors come in where they want to try to sell their book, and we have to have sometimes honest conversations about whether or not that's a title that the community wants to w- would read, or if that's a trend we see. Um, and it's really a great back and forth. We have authors that call whenever their new books come out or are about to, and it's really about being okay with that back and forth. You have to have consistent follow up and just be really willing and open to discussing ideas. Like I said earlier, like we always want to support all of our local authors. We've had some great ones that have come in and done children's events in the store. Um, Tracy Stanley, she is fantastic. She's in Sebastopol, has a handful of books about the weather. She comes in, we'll host a story time. She'll always have like a hands-on craft and we're able to offer her that space in which to do it. Um, there's another local author, Morgan Cochran, who wrote the ABCs of Jug Band Music. He'll bring his instruments in, and so it's really about being comfortable, offering the space, and finding the right time and the energy of what's going to be best for both parties. Well,
1: and and uh, the one author you didn't mention that that I the, the event that I came to was Maya Kababe, which was wonderful. I mean, that was that was a, and I would never ever have picked up airbook and uh he wrote gender
2: Gendercare. gender
1: queer yes. which was a was a banned book it's one of the most banned books in 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 america and yes.
2: yeah that was a fantastic event and we actually were able to partner with that because of one of my current booksellers um parker hinton who is they are involved with positive images and positive images had a partnership with Mia, so we were able to connect that way through
1: it, the community. Is, is it Mia? I thought it's pronounced Mia, not Maya. Or
2: Yeah, you're right. I believe it is Maya.
1: <laughs> well, that was a great event from my perspective because, well, a, I got to read a book I never would have yeah. ever read and learned so much. But I also developed a, a, a bit of a relationship with Maya in the sense that um, he was doing another. Event at the, I guess it was the Charles Schultz Museum, mm-hmm. and I got to meet the author of Fire Story. I, I can't remember who who wrote Fire Story, but he's a local guy, mm-hmm. um graphic novel about losing his home in Santa Rosa. And it was, you know, so these connections that you make through the bookstore and through books and through authors, just start to multiply and and extend. Um, And of course, I, I, so I read fire story and I sent that to my parents who don't, didn't really understand what it is to, to lose your home and Mm -hmm. what it is and why I'm still, you know, they think, well, why didn't you just get the hell out of town, you know, sell the land and move back to Princeton where it's nice and safe. But once you live here, I don't think you you ever about. <laughs> yeah, about and um, and so I tried to and and they kind of got it after that. But this notion of a community of authors is and mm-hmm. a community is of, of ideas and of things you get from books. I mean, and you know, you might get inspiration, you might get advice, you might get help in one sort or another. And um, which brings me to to open mic because you do more than manage. manage the local bookstore. You also uh, run run an open mic. And that's another kind of a sharing of things. Can you tell us a little bit about open mic?
2: Please come. So um, the local coffee shop brew in Santa Rosa um, has become very much a family space for the community um, every Tuesday nights from about six to nine o'clock. We have local writers, poets, songwriters, comedians. Um, Pretty much everything you can think of show up every week. Um, My fiance is the main host. He does the sound for the event. And it's just become something that is, I feel, I've been to a few open mics. And this one has the most supportive community show out that I have ever seen. Um, We have first timers that come out. We have people that are on tour stop by. Um, Because of just the environment itself. And you know, that's where you and I had the pleasure of meeting, which was fantastic. And now we've grown to this and you see people connect and you see these musicians coming together to collaborate and to make new things and you see writers working with musicians to help with lyrics. And it's just a continued cycle of like growth and support and sharing of all of these beautiful ideas.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I I met a musician there. I found out was writing a book and then I passed on his book proposal to my publisher. There are all of these things that come from the free sharing of ideas and so forth. And you want to just give the address just so that people know where to go.
2: So it is um, in downtown Santa Rosa on Heelsburg Avenue. I don't have the exact address, but it is like a hop, skip and a jump straight up from the Santa Rosa Plaza.
1: Right. So one of the things I I love about that is basically anything goes. It is a completely safe and welcoming space for ideas and song and and writing that maybe wouldn't get an airing, maybe wouldn't get published, or maybe wouldn't be welcome elsewhere. Which brings me back to Maya and that book, which was banned. Personally, I think that's one of the downward steps when you start banning books.
2: Oh yeah. That's a topic that I always get very frustrated about because censorship is so harmful, you know, cause I've always said, and I truly believe that everyone has a story to tell and that it's no one's place to silence that, you know, this is a hill I will gladly climb and gladly die on. I believe we all have opinions and that somewhere someone in the world is not going to agree with it. And that is completely okay because every person I think should have the right to choose what they say, what they read, what they do. And what censorship does is it says, no, you don't get to have a voice to share your ideas, or no, I'm going to control what other people are going to do. And I firmly believe that every one of us deserves to have a voice, even if it differs from our own. So I don't think we should ever go down that route of banning books. It is okay if you read something that you find offensive, and- Put that book down. You don't have to read it. Just like I can, if I want to, that would be the. You know, if you flip the script and say, "Well, no, you have to read this book because I say so." That's just as bad as banning it completely.
1: Right. Well, you know, it's a tough world right now. I mean, with you know Amazon. I don't want to put intentions in their mind, but what they do seems to have a pretty negative effect on local bookstores. On not on Barnes and Noble, thank goodness, because Barnes and Noble is big enough so that you got too many bookstores for them yeah. to put out of <laughs> business. But you've you've got things like Amazon. You've got mm-hmm. um, movements where books and ideas are getting squashed and 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 banned and so forth. What do you see? What is it going to take um, for for books and bookstores to survive?
2: I think we just need to go to them, go explore, spend time there, talk to the people that work there, talk to the people that shop there. And you'll find I I believe that we're more like minded than we think we are.
1: Right. I mean, as I say, I I find my book is in Barnes and a lot of Barnes and Nobles around the mm-hmm. country. And you know, when I when I go around the country, I usually go into the local one and you know yeah. sign a few copies and move on. And I'm just struck by how different each one really is. And so, is there a culture within Barnes and Noble that fosters that? I mean, how do you keep that? How do they keep that kind of local feel, even being it's such a big corporation?
2: Yeah, no, I love that question. Um, it wasn't necessarily that way when I started. Um, we have it really a lot of it has to do with our the new CEO that was brought aboard, James Daunt, who runs Waterstones in the UK, as well as Daunt Books, his own bookstore. And his belief is that each bookstore should run. Like an individual independent bookstore, because we need to be reflective of our community. So we were given, you know, they loosen the strings on what we could order, the displays we can make, the content we bring into the building, because the books, you know, that we have in Santa Rosa aren't going to speak to the same community that is, you know, in a store on the East Coast. Completely different area, different community, different people, different customers, different ideas. And to really be a successful business, you need to have the backing of your community. And so that's what we're allowed to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, if it's anything that gives me hope in the in this world is that it does seem like things are breaking down in some sense, and then each community is sort of finding its own way. You know, and that's my thing about the sharing economy. The sharing economy works in the real world in a local setting because- yeah you know, we're probably only two degrees of separation away from any other person in Santa Rosa. Yep. And because, I guess, of COVID and, and a lot of other factors, you know, each community is almost on its own and finding its own way to navigate. And, and again, I think the sharing economy, the community-based way does seem to work. I mean, it's working here, And maybe it's not all the way scalable, but it does sound like if you've got a kind of a, um, an enlightened CEO who's (laughs) in charge of a giant corporation, you can make it, you can sort of make it local, but. Think globally,
2: act locally. It's really important, I think, for us just all to remember that we're all people and we've all had different experiences and that when we really take the time to sit down and share our stories, we're going to learn so much from each other.
1: Right, that's a great. I think we're almost out of time, but I that's a great. Uh, that's a great way to end it. You know, share our stories and as part of the sharing economy, because our stories is what's going to get us through. I think. Yeah. Anyway, Becca, thank you so much for um, spending time with me. And what's? Uh, thank you. And and when am I, when are we going to see your book in in print? Or are we or am I going to just still have to listen to bits of it? At open mic every Tuesday it'll, night.
2: it'll get there. It'll get there. I've gotten a lot of nudges in that direction. So hopefully right. soon.
1: Great. Well, anyway, thank you so much for, for being part of this. And um, we'll see you next Tuesday.
2: Sounds great. Hope to see everyone else there too. That's
0: awesome. We always want to see you on Tuesday. So Becca, I love that. Everyone has a story to tell. I couldn't agree with you more. And censorship, no, not a good thing. right? But it's awesome. I'm glad to see that bookstores are still alive and well, right? Because local authors and national authors. In fact, um, I have the privilege of writing for Costco's magazine. And I just interviewed Twee Sutherland, who wrote Wings of Fire, which is so interesting to hear how big she got with this brilliant idea. Yeah. To go from that and then what Pete is doing and what all the other authors are doing out there to have this voice and raise our vibration, right? Mm -hmm. So thank you, Pete. I love this. I love this season two concept of the sharing economy because it takes what you're doing as an actuary and telling us what's your money worth on a money mountaineering journey um, and taking it to a new level and inviting more of us to join in besides just your fantastic actuary Or in addition to so thank you Rebecca such a pleasure to meet you Rebecca is the bookstore manager for Barnes and Noble in Santa Rosa California and Pete of course is the author and actuary who we love peternewarth.com I'm Hope Katz Gibbs producer of the show on the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV we look forward to seeing you next month and Becca come back anytime and share more stories with us Thank thank you all for listening